We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. With the third pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, the Charlotte Hornets select LaMelo Ball from Chino Hills, California. TJ. Oh, oh my goodness! Stunning! Alright, what's going on everyone? And welcome into a post-game edition of Buzz Beat here on the Locker Room app. We appreciate all of you in the room right now, and as always, feel free to chime in when necessary. This is Richie, and I'm joined by co-hosts Brian and Spencer today. We just finished watching the Hornets-Knicks play. It was a pretty big game when it comes to the tiebreaker situation with these two. Uh, Entering the game, the Hornets had a 1-0 lead in the season series. Uh, They had a pretty sizable win, I believe, uh, earlier, and uh, obviously they just lost 109-97, evening the series up, and they will play one more time on May 15th uh, in the second-to-last game of the season. This game was definitely a fun one to watch, especially in the first quarter where the offense was flowing for for both teams. Uh, Did you guys enjoy the game, Brian and Spencer? Yeah, I mean, the first half was amazing, right? (laughs) Um, The Hornets looked pretty great offensively, you know, a lot of small ball really, which is the story of, of the game for Charlotte. Uh, P.J. Washington looked awesome, you know, returning from injury. And, uh, man, just not enough good things to say. And then that defense of New York that has been, you know, really legitimately uh, top five in the league recently uh, really showed up in the second half. I mean, they took away a lot of stuff at the rim in the second half from Charlotte. They pretty much took Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier completely out of the game uh, from behind the arc and dared anyone else that would, uh, you know, would like to beat them to beat them. And Shaw didn't have any answers. So I'm pretty impressed with New York. I got to be honest. Like, you know, Julius Randle is really, really legit this season. And this defense is like a just a throwback physical uh, we're going to help the helper. We're going to get into the gaps and play defense. We're going to take away the rim from, from you. And on top of all of that, we're going to run at shooters type of Thibodeau defense. Like I, I think, I think this Knicks team is could, could, they could make some noise in the first round. So anyways, you know, so the horns are back full strength. You can only make so much of all this, but uh, you know, all in all, I thought we saw some good things. from. 
the first half was super fun. Like the game was enjoyable. It was open. Um, both teams played well, shot well, uh, right out of the gate. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, obviously the third quarter was just like, uh, kind of just New York, just bullying Charlotte. Uh, you can't give like, we all know, like Spencer said, this New York, they've been like a top three, top five defense all year. And tonight, you know, offensively they score over 1.2 points per possession. The defense turns up in the second half. Charlotte gets nothing at the rim. 23% of Charlotte's field goal attempts were at the rim. All of my notes from the second half are like, just like, you know, saying something along the lines of no rim pressure with multiple exclamation marks. And uh, look, if you let New York tee off like this offensively, they get hot. They got a fair amount of open threes or, you know, sort of like mismatches out of the ball screen. And you don't get to the rim because as good as this New York defense has been, they they actually allow a, a fair amount of like volume at the rim. But yeah, if you don't get to the rim against New York, you let them clamp you up and they, you know, they, they're having their own sort of field day offensively. Like you're just not going to, you know, you're pretty obviously not going to beat them. And Charlotte certainly ran out of gas early on. I do think that third quarter too, just like not only like missing the Lamellos and the Lame- and the uh, Maliks guys that could really get north south uh, and, and get to the rim, but I also just thought like Hayward as a stabilizing force, a guy to go matchup hunting with, um, a guy that can you know shoot pass. I thought they missed Hayward as a passing hub and as sort of like a, a mismatch guy to to use and to sort of like as the game was grinding a little bit more of a half court halt. The, that they really could have used Hayward uh, in that capacity tonight. But yeah, they, they're just making the best of what they got. New York started to trap Rozier. And I just thought Reggie Bullock's defense uh, chasing Rozier tonight away from the basketball was, was really, really good. As we've seen, not just the Knicks, but other teams really start to like key in on Terry with a lot of like half courts uh, or a lot of Charlotte's half court um, designs that are built to get Rosier open for catch and shoot threes. And I think the biggest thing, obviously, we are down bodies, right? You're you're down Lamella, you're down Hayward, you're down Malik, but it's that's not just the importance of those players, but it's also the fatigue that kicks in with these players. Cause we basically ran like a seven or eight man lineup out there with Bridges, McDaniels, Graham and Rosier. You got PJ playing significant minutes. And you got the Martin twins. Uh, so Cody Zeller's not really playing all that much. Biombo had zero minutes tonight. And uh, Vernon Carey, the uh, ceremonial starter, had 30 minutes <laughs> of uh, game time tonight. And, and you saw that in the second half where they were just worn down by the Knicks defense. They had a six-point lead heading into the second half. But that was quickly erased as the Knicks went on a 6-0 run to start the third quarter. So you, you combine the fatigue with the defense of the Knicks, uh, and things were just piling up for them. And I, I think one thing, too, is like the Knicks were also grabbing a lot of offensive rebounds, extending the play, and that only wore down the Hornets you know, even more. But I, I, did, I did like the compete level. I'll say that from McDaniels especially, from Bridges especially, uh, those two came out wanting to win this game because they knew how big it was trying to chase the New York Knicks in the standings and and as of now, they're they're twenty eight and twenty nine, and the Knicks are thirty two and twenty six. Yeah, the Knicks really. I, I think what I'm most impressed about them by is that they they just have like a lot of different parts of the floor they can score the ball from. Uh, you know, they, they showed that tonight. I mean, we knew that about Randall. Like Derrick Rose was awesome tonight. 
you know, I thought offensively for, for New York off the bench. I mean, his ability to just kind of like turn something into, or excuse me, turn what looks like nothing into something uh, late in the clock or against a loaded defense, I, I think is not something I really expected at this point in his career. I mean, it's been a, re- a really good trade for New York. And obviously quickly, you know, coming off the bench for the Knicks too, there in that first half specifically, like was just, was really good. You know, between those two players right there, New York gets 34 points coming off, coming off the bench, which kind of makes up for just not having a great Julius Randle game. But, you know, this team can score it in a lot of different ways. I mean, we saw Bullock get hot there in the first half too. It's not a like mind altering offense that they run. You know, I think Charlotte runs a lot uh, more creative generally better offense than New York. Um, but the Knicks are playing with a lot of confidence right now, and they don't need a ton on the offensive end of the floor to get over the hump, which I think if you haven't seen a lot of the Knicks this year and you're a Hornets fan, you kind of understand that now. I mean, the Hornets scored 66 points in the first half, you know, and, and don't get to the century mark for the game. So you kind of understand, like, what this team's built off of and, you know, just that they just need to make some shots, to have a chance to win just about you know against anybody in this league. And I, and I think we really saw that tonight. So, again, I, I keep going back to this point where I'm just, like, impressed by the Knicks, but I really am right now. I think this team's legit um, as we enter get closer to postseason. Yeah, they look like they're a bear to play against, right? Like, the defense yeah, is just so, so physical. And, uh, and Randall's, even, even on nights where he's not, you know, maybe scoring super efficiently, he just gives them a gravity guy for them to play off of. You can set him up in a bunch of different areas. He turns into an offensive hub from everywhere. And like, I, I've seen, I saw them play against the Pelicans last week and, and Randall was just, you know, raining step back jumpers and threes and two. Like he's a, he's a menace, man. He, he really is just a beast in the middle of the court. Uh, or on the like the low block mid post area, he he's a load to deal with. Richie, your point about the Charlotte really having to lean on you know seven guys basically in this game. Charlotte starters tonight played 15 minutes and 21 seconds. So Rozier, Brid, or I guess not the starters, but because because PJ didn't start, and as you mentioned, uh, Vernon Carey Jr. got the uh, what the Keith Bogans ceremonial start there. Um, but the Rozier, Bridges, Devontae Graham, P.J. Washington, Jalen McDaniels, 15 minutes and 21 seconds. They actually played more than Tom Thibodeau's New York Knicks starting five did tonight, which played 14 minutes and 42 seconds. And then the Rozier, Martin, Martin, Washington, McDaniels lineup played seven and a half minutes too. So I mean, that's basically half the game right there with just those two lineups. So Charlotte's sort of scraping the barrel in a couple of different ways. And I was, I, I mean, Obi Toppin's been kind of a mess uh, for New York this year. Defensively, uh, he's, I, predictably, he was, he's been way behind, but quickly looks like a really nice pick late in the first round. Um, I mean, he threw in some slap that went in tonight too, but just his ability to get like north-south out of the pick and roll, he can spot out and space out, hit, hit threes that way, just gives... Like Spencer was talking about with Derrick Rose, like they've got two really guys that can come in and juice the offense a little bit off the bench. I know there was some concern that Rose would really eat into Quickly's minutes, and that, maybe that's happened to to some extent. But having both those guys coming off the bench uh, as guys that can spell Alfred Payton uh, is 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 pretty pivotal. And uh, and yeah, RJ Barrett, man, that guy just like continues to get better. You know, been obviously there's been 
much written and said about his uh, progress this year. But I just thought, obviously, the spot-up shooting was great, but he even got to his little pull-up mid-range game out of the pick-and-roll, had a nice skip pass to Kevin Knox um, off a live dribble, sort of like re-screen action with Taj Gibson. So, yeah, you know, I think eventually the offense will – the lack of, you know, really – sort of dynamic offense will we'll catch up with them, but that may not be to the second round of the playoffs. Like this is a, a pretty tough team and Charlotte went toe to toe with them for the most part tonight, you know, minus really the third quarter. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, Russ, uh, you with us? Do you have a question, my friend? Russ Heltman here with us on, um, on on the locker room app. You got a question, Russ? Yeah, guys. I was just uh, kind of looking ahead to the next week or so, trying to stay afloat until we can get LaMelo back. I think, I think I'd like Cleveland, Chicago, Boston on the, on the Sunday ESPN game, and then Milwaukee, two and two, I think could happen, but... I just you got to hope they can at least win one of these games, get Lamelo back, and then try to piece together some kind of run because they have a pretty pretty palatable schedule going down the stretch of the season. Yeah, coming up they've got the Bulls on Thursday and the Cavaliers on Friday on a back to back. So those would obviously be the two games that you would hope that the Hornets could pull out because, to his point, Celtics and Bucks and Celtics again on Wednesday of next week. So that those three games are going to be very tough for the Hornets. Yeah, in terms of the LaMelo news, obviously we can kind of transition to that because Russ brought it up. It was announced that he had reevaluation on his right wrist. It had been four weeks, and they kind of mentioned that initially it was going to be out for the season, but then they came back and said, well, let's go ahead and reevaluate it in four weeks. And now that cast is off. He is cleared to go. You know, he, he can have basketball activities. I think the biggest thing is just getting comfortable with the wrist, bending it, using a basketball in his right hand. I guess the good news is he might even be better with his left hand when he comes back. So I think the optimistic view here is that he comes back in seven to 10 games. So, or no, sorry, seven to 10 days. So a week from now, potentially 10. I'm more on the pessimistic side. Let's wait it out. Let's let's hope that he can come back 100%. I think we do need to win a couple of these games coming up. Hopefully we stay afloat, stay near that 500 record. But to your point, you know, we got a couple of games against the Pistons. We got some magic. We got the Wizards at the end of the season. But yeah, I think that's the plan. Try to stay as close as you can to 500. And what do you guys think about that in terms of LaMelo? Do you guys think it'll be 7 to 10 
days, or or do you guys think more on the pessimistic side? You know, from what I understand about what this wrist injury is for Lamelo, you know, just a clean break in the wrist. You know, it's not, uh, you know, it's not kind of a soft tissue injury. So I, I think there's probably more optimism just in general, like blanket optimism that hey, this thing's healed, right? So we get it, we get him back, you know, in, conditioning wise, back in shape, and um, you know, he's got full flexibility and all this back, you know, back in the wrist and, and off we go. So I do think there's probably a chance that, you know, he's, he's back in seven to 10 days. But, uh, I also think that this is a little bit of, you know, the Hornets have lost a lot of steam. They're completely out of the national spotlight. Like we need a little PR buzz. We need to get our fans back on board. So, Hey, seven to 10 days, you know, one of those kind of deals, but regardless of when he comes back, I think we can all like safely assume the Hornets will at least be in a play-in scenario. Uh, I'm knocking on as much wood as I can find right now. So, you know, that kind of back to my PR point, like you need the fan base kind of behind all this momentum and excitement that was there earlier in the season for Charlotte. And, and I think that some of that was behind the, Hey, let's float this to the national media that generates a lot of likes and, and, and engagement. But to Russ's point, you know, over these next four games, which I think are crucial, and you're absolutely correct, Russ, I do think two and two is in there. I mean, you got to beat Cleveland at home. You can't lose two games to Cleveland at home in a two-week stretch, right? And then you go to Chicago. You come home against Boston on Sunday afternoon at 1 o'clock, which kind of feels like the other one you got to get. And then you get Milwaukee at home on Tuesday night. You know, we'll see who Milwaukee plays that night, but I think you make a really good point, Russ. I mean, I think this needs to be a two-and-two stretch. BG, where do you stand? Uh, Spencer, I was thinking the same thing. I'm hoping Milwaukee maybe would decide to sit some of the the starters that game. Yeah, the Cameron likes to do that. He likes to do that for uh, the Borrego-Spurs connection. He's done Ah, it before. (laughs) Yeah, I like like the thought. You got to – I like it. Like, we've got a Spursian connection there. He's he's just going to take – Barry, uh, he'll, he'll take the knee, uh, for Borrego to, uh, to, to, to get a game here, a much needed, uh, as I guess the Charlotte would probably take the season series then against the Bucks if that were to happen, which is sort of hilarious to think about. Um, you know, they're getting Chicago at a good time. Bulls have not looked good except for maybe a game or two since the Vucevic deal there. I think they're what four and nine since they, they made this trade, like, this is kind of a disaster for Chicago, and now no Zach Levine either. You know, there's really the the one sort of like you know big time perimeter threat Chicago has. Their backcourt has just got so many other other concerns. Obviously, Vooch is awesome. Pat Williams had a nice rookie year. Sadoransky's good, but um, man, they're just like so strapped. Uh, and Thad Young has had a great season too. But they kind of like went all in on this season to an extent. And it certainly has not paid off so far. So that's the game that Charlotte's like got to get. Plus, like in theory, I guess Chicago is one of these other teams that's vying for play-in tournament seating, so you can knock them back a game. So that's a big one for them. And uh, and yeah, and the other thing too, like Richie, I think you mentioned this. They they had initially said after after the news first came out that he was done for the season. Um, you know, the the next report said they're going to get a second opinion. He'll be reevaluated in four weeks, and he was. And so this did get you know leaked to the media, and this is where I think perhaps why we can connect sort of like what Richie and Spencer were both saying, because if you've been paying attention to this team the last couple of weeks, 
like really the last week or so, like the Hornets broadcast has shown LaMelo like warming up before the games. You know, actually Shamadi's had reports about him getting in, you know, shooting practice or whatever before the games too. So it's like this didn't just like come flying in out of nowhere. There's been a timeline that was at least somewhat established. And, and even prior to this news coming out, like he's been sort of like getting back in the flow uh, in, a, in a much lesser extent. And then, yeah, then this news dropped. Uh, if, you, if you wanted to sort of like connect those two, those two points. Did you guys see that uh, like 15 second video that they put out on Instagram prior to the game with, with LaMelo walking into Madison Square Garden with the with the phone in his right hand walking in? Like it was like the best hype up video for a guy that's <laughs> returning from a cast coming off. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was, it, it, yeah, it was a good one. I mean, it got me pretty excited. I got to be honest. But yeah, again, back to my point, like <laughs> the team needed this excitement, needed this engagement. Uh, they could feel it slipping away in, in uh, win, win loss perspective and just probably again from a, a fan engagement perspective. Hey, we got another question. No, maybe not. Maybe it went away. All right, Richie, continue. No, that was that was really my only thought. I was I was excited after watching that video. But one one thing that we do need to kind of discuss here is with Lamelo out, it, it gave other players opportunities to step up. So there's always some kind of silver lining here. Obviously, you don't want your best players to go down. It it hampers a lot of things that you're trying to do on the offensive side of the court, especially. But Jalen McDaniels, in his opportunity that he that he has had you know, in these X amount of games that he's played, he's been the one player that I feel like you're going to have to consider when when or if everyone does come back that he's got to get playing time. I mean, he's played himself into a spot. You know, I love his, you know, his scrappy nature on the offensive boards. He can hit the corner three. He's very lanky, so he's a pest on the defensive side of the court. My, my favorite part of this game was when him – Bridges and PJ were out on the court together and their length defensively just affects opponents. And if one player gets beat, all three of those guys have that ability on the backside to erase shots. And that, that's been a big revelation with PJ and, and Miles, especially. And, and you're seeing that more with, with Jalen um, as well. So when these players, or if these players, I guess is the bigger word, if these players do come back into the lineup, I, I think Malik Monk might be the one that's kind of the slowest to come back. I would still say this, Jalen has got to get play time. And, and the good news is it sounds like Borrego's only playing, you know, seven or eight players right now. So it's not like he's hurting uh, in terms of trying to have that competition. because He doesn't really favor a lot of players right now. Yeah, I, I just like what McDaniels gives them from, like, assuming he's able to stay in the rotation when these guys come back. Uh, a couple, couple, just two quick thoughts. One, I just like what he brings as like the de facto fifth guy on the court, right? Because Richie, like you mentioned, he is switchy. We've seen him at times be a pretty good help defender and a guy that can give you a little bit of weak side rim protection. But then offensively, like his ability to crash the glass, his ability to stay in the corners, um, he can attack a closeout. He's even got some sort of like weird shot making elements to his game when he can't you know, uh, catch and go all the way to the rim. And I just like his sort of like his feel and his the way he moves out the ball, looking to cut, looking to set flare screens. He just does, uh, you know, five or six of these sort of like movement patterns on the offensive end 
that are perfect for the sort of like low usage three and D fifth guy. And, and so I think that's pretty impressive. He's never getting in and trying to, you know, do too much. It's not like Charlotte's asking him to, to do that, but it seems like he's content to play or play this role and to really sort of like excel within this role, which I think is pretty impressive. And then my other thought would be once everyone gets back, I think McDaniels is one more, st- you know, he's one more option to give you to not have to play biz uh, in the playoffs, which I think is something I might've been talking about this probably too much the last couple of weeks or months, but just, <laughs> They've got to get as close. I've said, I've said this for a while, but like those 48 center minutes you know, need to be PJ and Zeller in the playoffs. And I just think not like McDaniels is going to come in and necessarily play the five, but he just unlocks a bunch of different small ball options for you. Maybe make some of the small bar lineups a little more palatable, um, at least in stretches when, you know, Hayward is getting a blow or in foul trouble or currently injured or whatever. So I, I like what he does. I like I like what he can do to the back end of Charlotte's rotation. And I like what he brings when he's on the court as a guy that you know is a three and D guy, but even he also has like a little bit of uh, you know has a little bit of juice offensively in the half court as well. Yeah, totally agree with you, BG. Absolutely, and he definitely gets Charlotte away from that uh, that you know that biz you know or even Zeller at five lineup. We have a speaker request here, Matt Kaplan. Matt, I'm going to bring you on here. Go ahead and ask your question. Hey, what's up, guys? What's going on? Hey, man. Uh, so I'm a crazy Knicks fan. It's a good game. I just had a question. I mean, uh, I don't watch you guys that very often, but does P.J. Washington usually shoot like that? Because I was screaming my head off the whole game. <laughs> well, well, the answer is no. He does not usually shoot the ball like that. Um, now, he was, you know, he surprised us all, Matt, when he came into the league last season. Uh, and, and, and if I'm not mistaken, his first game as a rookie against Chicago, I want to say he hit four first half threes. Maybe it was five. Maybe I think it was four. I don't think it was quite five. But um, he showed us very early in his career that he could shoot the ball. He has struggled a little bit more this season uh, from really most parts of the floor. But it's also been a different season for P.J. He had, you know, I think the Hornets being off for so long, not going to the bubble, he kind of came into the season a little bit out of shape. He's obviously, you know, tonight was his first night coming back from an injury, so it's it's been a little bit different of a season. He, but he played against uh, Portland. no, he not, played against Portland. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks, Richie. You're right. So you know, no, he doesn't always shoot the ball like this, but he's perfectly capable of being a really good pick and pop, stretch the floor, you know, combo four five kind of shooter. Yeah, he, PJ's thing is he's very very good from the corners. Like he's damn near 50% from the corners for his career. Uh, he's closer to like the low to mid thirties from above the break. And that was where, you know, those five first quarter threes, all of those were from above the break, you know, not like that's where you know, he takes a lot of above the break shots as well. But I like, remember most of them were from straight on, like he would just pull yeah. up straight on yep. and just knock yep. him down. I was just yeah. like so frustrated. <laughs> and some of those sort of just came like in the flow of, of Charlotte's like spread ball screen offense, but like the Hornets run stuff that, is is designed to get PJ in the middle of the court or get designed to get PJ a pick and pop in the middle of the court. Um, so they run stuff for that. Like it, it is, it is a part of their offense, but yeah, no PJ is not, uh, he's not Steph Curry when it comes to above yeah. the break three point shoot. And I would say to Brian's point too, you know, Matt, you know, before uh, you jumped on and asked your question, just McDaniel's, playing more minutes for Charlotte, you, you, you're not seeing Bismack Biombo and Cody Zeller out there 
as often. You know, PJ is the quasi, you know, center, right? And and so he's just going to get more pick and pop opportunities by default in that way. So that first quarter was really just like that's the best of PJ Washington you're going to see, and still the pie in the sky idea uh, for for what Hornets fans hope he can be long term. So thanks for your question, man. Yeah, for sure, man. Good game goes. Well, thank you. Yeah, we, we were raving about the, the Knicks defense, I think maybe before you got in here, and how they wore down the Hornets in the second half. And Julius Randle, too, I know that we've talked about him on this podcast here, but love the way that he plays. I think that a lot of times people forget that he's more than just this like bruiser down in the paint and backing people down and scoring in that fashion. I, I think he did take some some ill-advised shots in this game. But he does collapse the defense in a way that doesn't always uh, end up in his shot or an assist for him. It couldn't end up in a hockey assist. And he did had a couple, maybe three or four, look-away passes that just collapsed the Hornets' defense, which led to either like a, a Barrett three or a Rose three or a Bullock three. He played well, and I think a lot of times the view of Randall is more of this power guy that just bruises down in the block which he does do, but I think there's more to his game and, and why he's expanded his game so much this season. One other player, uh, Brian Spencer, that I would like to talk about is Cody Martin because I know we've bagged on him all season, but I've actually been impressed with him. I've actually been impressed with the way that Borrego has used him as a point-of-attack defender, uh, disrupting you know whoever the point guard may be on the opposing team. He actually almost stripped D. Rose in the backcourt in the first quarter like he did C.J. McCollum. And uh, he's just going to give teams fits. I, I know that, Brian, you said that you weren't necessarily um, at – maybe you were too high on him defensively. But I, I still think he's our best point of attack defender. And like I mentioned, when, when players start to come back, I still think that he needs to be a part of this rotation, uh, even if it's only for like you know 12 to 15 minutes a game. I'd still think I'd put Malik uh, above Cody as the best uh, POA defender on this roster, but that is what Cody does best defensively. Like my concerns with him usually come in the form of him like overhelping and sort of like running into mistakes as a as a team defender. Um, I don't think he's like a, an A one stopper, but you, like he gives incredible effort. He's athletic. He's long, um, and yeah, when you put him in those situations where he kind of has like a you know a size advantage over the uh, opposing one, you know, like McCollum or whatever, um, yeah, he can be he can be pretty ferocious. And like you know, like he's an empty the bucket guy. Like you love the you love the energy and the hustle from from Cody. He makes winning plays. So um, yeah, it's nice to see him like having an impact defensively for Charlotte because like he's got to make his, he's got to earn his keep on that end because it's the offense. That's really been uh, yeah. a struggle fest for him. And, and Spencer, yeah. I'll let you get in yeah. here real quick, but yeah. to me, obviously he's not the shooter of the two twins, but he doesn't yeah. hesitate as much as Caleb. Maybe my eyes are deceiving me, but Caleb feels like he hesitates for a couple of seconds before launching that three. And for whatever reason, his confidence is not here that, yeah, I mean, I watched Cody take a, a corner three, I think it was, tonight. And I think maybe you're right, Richie, that he, he may, maybe he does. Maybe he does let it go a little quicker than, than Caleb does. 
I think that Caleb has a, a first step that he's always trying to get to, which might be a little bit of the reason for that. Like Caleb's not in the same way Miles Bridges looking to tear the rim down, but like Caleb's le- looking to slash uh, in a way that Cody is not. You know, Cody would love a, you know a ball screen to come to him and then to kind of operate. That he's, he's better. They're different in that ways, I guess. But I watched Cody take a, th- a corner three point shot tonight and thought this guy he's just never going to be able to shoot. I mean, it's just I mean. And, it's not like tonight was like the the shining moment where I realized that, but you know, it's just like from where he left last season and everything that he showed us defensively, and you know, his on the ball creation out of the pick and roll, and you know, just vision as a as a passer. Like there were enough things you could check off to where you, just, if you could just say for Cody Martin, like man, if he can just be like a thirty four percent three point shooter, right, thirty five percent three-point shooter on just like half decent volume we've really got something here but I, I just think there's no hope for that for Cody Martin I, I personally think and this is just specific to uh, Charlotte's scheme I think Jalen McDaniels is the best point of attack defender that this team has and so he's not a point of de- attack defender in terms of like imagining the other team's point guard bringing the ball up the floor. And so Devontae Graham or Terry Rozier or Malik Monk, when he's healthy, would be guarding that player. Right. But Charlotte switches all that action that happens at the very beginning of the play. So th- they arrive with Jalen McDaniels when he's on the floor at the point of attack quite a bit. And he is the guy that can swallow off the action from lane line to lane line when you're talking about trying to drive the ball down the middle of the floor to me as well as anybody on this roster. And that's why I think you're going to, you're going to see him in the playoffs. I think regardless of who gets back healthy, uh, because he just, you know, there's only so much he can give you offensively. Brian brought brought it up earlier. You know, he's a good cutter. He looks to do cool things. You know, he, he goes, he's advantageous on the offensive glass. Uh, we've seen him shoot corner threes, but to me, if Charlotte can get him in that position defensively with, again, within this scheme, not guarding the point guard, but within this scheme, I really do think that Jalen McDaniels probably gives just defensively as a stopper, this team as good of a chance as anybody they've got. He's built for that better than anybody on the roster. Like, yeah, he's got it. He's a little skinny. Like, it'd be nice if he could bulk up a little bit, but like, he's built like a stopper, like the just, you know, the prototypical wing three and D stopper. And I, I haven't checked after tonight's game, but following the Portland game, he was high thirties and catch and shoot threes, uh, you know, relatively low sample, but just like that. He can give you that impact defensively where, yeah, maybe Jalen McDaniels, the best defender on this roster, um, but not take anything away from you offensively. In fact, he maybe even gives you a little bit, just because of all the little small things he does on that end of the court, yeah, you can't, you can't. A, you can't have enough of those guys on the roster, and B, those guys are like built for postseason impact, postseason minutes, assuming they can, you know, make enough shots. Basically, it's funny that we all listed three different players on the Hornets roster as the best point of. It's because they don't. Have, always, it's because they don't have any good defenders. Because <laughs> they don't have one. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, I, I was actually when when I first started talking, I wanted to get to that thought. Is like, well, what we're all saying is that they actually don't have it, but we're just going to throw out all these guys like like we're throwing darts at a board. But uh, but yeah. So, anyways, I digress. You know, you know, whose defense I was impressed with tonight was Miles Bridges. I know that uh, he has made improvements yeah. on ball, especially 
he did have one play in the second half where he got caught back door, but overall, like just very active, sliding, good defense, bodying up opponents. I would not say he's the best point of attack defender on the on the Hornets roster, but he did play well tonight defensively. Yeah, well, uh, good point. Let me pull up um, Maxwell's question here. I think it's a good point. He says, uh, Maxwell Millington, do you think seven to ten games for Lamelo's return is legit? I think he plays by Sunday versus Boston, which he mentions is a national televised game. That's interesting. I need time, more time to process it. BG, what do you think? About- <laughs> yeah, my thing is this, is that no matter what the schedule says, and I certainly understand the appeal, it's a big game against Boston, you know, implications, Kemba, national TV, et cetera. Um, like, I hope... I hope that this team realizes, and I, I think they do, uh, although I guess this will be like sort of an early litmus test, that they'll the, just like the godsend that LaMelo is, like what he means for Charlotte this season and what he means for basketball, you know, globally, but, but also in, in the interest of the franchise locally, uh, hopefully for the next decade plus, right? And so not only is this something where you want to make sure Charlotte isn't reckless about when they bring this guy back, like he's, he's going to come back when he's, you know, hundred percent period. And like ready to go. Any, anything short of that is in my opinion, reckless and, and bad. But like, you know, if, again, if it's, if he's hundred percent, you get the green light, he wants to play. Yeah. Go for it. Um, I don't know if that moment is possible to take place before the, the Boston game. Um, yeah, I guess we, we shall see, but, um, obviously looking forward to seeing him come back and playing Spencer, like you mentioned, like, luckily it's not like the worst kind of break possible. Like this is not like a, a deep tissue issue that he's dealing with or anything like that. So yeah, I feel, I do feel confident if they say he's good to go, then he's good to go. Um, but, but that is just like, I don't know, man, like, this isn't like specific to the Hornets, but we've seen plenty of people and you know, teams, franchises bring guys back too early from injuries and then bad stuff happens. And just like LaMelo's 19. Um, so like, you know what, what it matters, obviously what happens the next two weeks and it matters what happens this season, but you know, it matters what happens in the next 200 weeks. It matters what happens in the next four seasons. So um, I feel like that, that is something that constantly, has to be, you know, at the heartbeat of sort of like every decision Charlotte's making uh, with LaMelo and team building wise going forward. Yeah, I mean, I can't refute anything at all. You just said, BG, I agree with all of it. Um, You know, I think that sports, professional sports, well, and college sports, for sure. uh, It's a business. It's about money at the end of the day. And so it's hard to kind of scratch your head and say, well, wait a minute, the kid broke his wrist. I thought he was out probably for the rest of the season. And here we are, it's, you know, seven to 10 days and we're whatever, four weeks removed from, from the break or whatever it is. And I, it's hard not to think that there's, there are some decision makers or at least not, not, not to think, I want to be very clear on what I'm saying here, but, but to wonder and ponder and, and, uh, to theorize maybe that there are some business uh, reasons to, to say, hey, LaMelo back in seven to ten days. So 
I'm just trying to echo what Brian's saying. The, the number one priority should be keeping this kid absolutely healthy, safeguarding his future, the Hornets' future. You know, Brian brings up a good point. The, the, the you know, the global NBA interest future, right? Because he he is that transcendent of a talent, and he is truly as marketable as they get at his age. So, but I do think that. The Hornets would really like some eyeballs back on them is kind of my point here. And so it's hard to not think that's part of the reason that we're getting the reports we are. But I hope he's back. And the good news is that they've said that by playing on it, he can't re-injure it further. It's just more about being comfortable, like I said, with the ball in his hand and his right wrist. So it's going to be more about comfort more than anything. And to echo both of what you guys said, it's it's all about being patient and not rushing this thing. This team is not making it uh, to the Eastern Conference Finals, right? So it doesn't make any sense to rush this player back. If you really wanted a marketing scheme, Maxwell, we should bring him back for the Pelicans game against Lonzo. Ah, there you go. Against Zion, too, actually, for that matter. Future New York Nick, uh, Zion Williamson, if you've been paying attention to the news cycle the last uh, 24 hours. God, that was not, that's been nauseating and totally predictable. Don't don't say you like playing in Madison Square Garden because they're going to start linking you to that team. Yeah, it just it just I don't know. It just it's annoying because like that should be a harmless. You know, I so I I'm not surprised. Obviously, it's the opposite of surprise that it turned into a complete firestorm. But like Zion saying like it's fun to play at the most famous basketball arena in the world should be completely like benign, innocuous. Like, it shouldn't matter. And then it just turns into like literally just 24 hours of like, you know, news cycle content. And it will for the, for the remainder of Zion's career, they're going like to replay that line. It's going to be just asinine to deal with. But wait, Brian Richie, didn't you hear that he thanked the reporter for asking him that question <laughs> and how rare that is? Did you guys not hear that? Is yeah. that, does that not, does that not milk out 24 hours longer of content about this story? <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. It really is. I mean, small market forever. This it's disgusting. This kind of yeah. NBA coverage. But when every single star player in the NBA is hurt, what do you expect? It, it's go. It's like this is going to happen with Lamelo in LA, right? Like event, like, hundred like, Not to yeah, yeah. Like it's definitely going to happen. We got to. We probably should be ready for it, honestly, because like it's going to be frustrating when it does. Like. The, the 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 people that control this league, the media interests around it, like they a they want these guys to play in big markets. It's better for them, and also like in the in between, the the chatter about that serves as just you know nonstop content for them, um, nonstop clicks, retweets, views, etc. So yeah, it's it's pretty frustrating to see but like again the opposite of a uh, of a surprise you knew as soon as he said it it was going to turn into uh you know at least the the following days you know sports talk cycle and again anytime zion and the future of zion is discussed this will be mentioned even though it was like a throwaway line after after zion went nuts against you know new york stupid yeah i also think he caught himself too because when he said it he was like and I and I also like playing in the smoothie too, guys. Like I, I like playing in New Orleans. So he was trying to you know, cover all his bases there. So any lasting thoughts before we wrap here? Because I think it's a good time to sign off. We definitely wanted to thank everyone for joining us, Brian Spencer. Anything you want to add here? 
Uh, just, yeah, Spencer, go ahead. And this is a thought I've had for, you know, a little over a week probably with this team is, you know, this is a, this is a danger area. It's a danger zone. I wasn't on uh, with you guys during the last episode, but with, with where the Pacers are right now, with where Indiana is, it feels like Charlotte will at least be able to hold on, but it, it really feels like they're sinking. And the schedule is not, it's not the hardest in the league to finish here. But I just don't know where this team gets enough offense to win. I'm trying to remember exactly how many games are left. What does it sound like, Richie? Like 14, 15? Does that sound about right? Like, yes. Like I, I think they need they need like six wins, probably five at, at absolute bare minimum, and you know more like 500 to to ensure yourself that you don't need to win you know two games in a row to even actually get to the real playoffs and so i don't know i just think it's a really crucial and to the point that was brought up earlier by our listener uh russ here it's a really crucial next four games that two of them are certainly winnable charlotte's got to get them they got to get some wins here they got to win some ugly games and that's something this team has trouble doing uh because they're not very good defensively and right now they just don't have the horses to score it efficiently and consistently yeah the uh, the lakers game was a game that was ugly as as hell was was theirs potentially to win they just couldn't quite pull it out but that was that was one of the ugliest games i've seen all season i mean thankfully they beat portland the other day like, can you, I mean, they would be in the middle of, uh, what, if, uh, a six-game losing streak, you know, if they had lost to Portland, that they're one in five in their last six games. Um, if you extend it back even further than that, they're only, they're only two, they're only three wins since the Boston game, which was one of the worst games of the season, was Oklahoma City when the Thunder basically sitting everyone in Milwaukee without Giannis, without Chris Middleton, without Drew or without Drew Holiday, without Brooke Lopez. So the the worst fears we had three weeks ago when all this stuff went down have totally been confirmed. And it didn't take a rocket scientist to see that like this team losing all of you know most of its very good sort of like half court engines of offense and all, some key shooters. It was just going to push guys into different roles where they're not as well-suited like Rozier. And I think he's trying. But you're asking Terry to expend a lot of energy to be like a real like half-court creator, plus be a guy that runs off screens, plus switch around, defend, play big minutes. And and I think, you know, he's, he has not gotten to the line as much as, you know, his drives are down, et cetera. Like, so I think you're seeing it. And the way teams are guarding Rozier, the Knicks really keyed into it. And it's nothing new. That's happened a lot. I talked about this, Richie, with you and uh, Lee after when we did a locker room last week. Teams are going to throw the kitchen sink at, at Rozier. And, yeah, you're going to need playmaking and shooting from guys like Bridges and PJ. And those guys have been really good uh, at various moments. Mm-hmm. Um, I really thought not just the three-point shooting from PJ tonight, but he had two plays off of Horns. Uh, in the third quarter, I think when stuff was really starting to gum up for Charlotte's offense, where he actually like, he caught it, they closed out hard. PJ drove and got to the rim for a finish, so that was pretty impressive. Like, want to see more of that from PJ because teams, the, everyone knows he hard close on this guy because he wants to just space out and shoot. And I, I don't want to fully get into Bridges just because like I could talk about him for ten minutes and and well, we should wrap this up, but like. I just continued to be so he didn't he was not great tonight against New York, but like I just continued to be so impressed with Bridges, like what he's done on both ends of the court, 
his playmaking, the off the dribble shooting, the decision making. Man, he just continues to make strides. It's really fun to watch, and it it just really feels like you know Charlotte is has cultivated perhaps another foundational element. I mean, that's we're, I'm speaking way out of turn here. That's you know speaking way ahead, but I just love what I've seen from him this season so far. Yeah, and just to, to bring it up real quick, Richie, and then I know we got to go, but. I, it, it's we're officially in like and I was kind of getting into getting to it earlier like seed watch standing watch area for Charlotte because in the play in tournament seven plays eight nine plays ten right so yes. if you're in the seven eight game you're in a double you're a double elimination team yeah. so right now Charlotte is two games up and in, in, in the eight seed from Indiana who's thirteen back and then Chicago's fifteen back so like. Being the eight seed versus being the nine seed is yep. is 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 a huge huge deal. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's nothing. But like to a small market, <laughs> to you know, to a small market team like Charlotte with their fans, I, I think it matters. So like that that's really something to watch and something I'm sure we'll talk about more in, in the coming weeks here. And uh, Miles Turner injured for Indiana too, right? Didn't that news come out within the last? Uh... Yeah, it came out earlier today. Miles Turner out indefinitely, partial tear uh, in his right big toe. So something else yeah. to keep an eye on that could play a role in this uh, this chase down the stretch. Yeah, exactly. That, that's what I was saying earlier about Indiana. I, I really think they're in a place now where it's, it's you know it's conceivable they jump ahead of Charlotte, but I think it's it's also hard to imagine with yeah. with that injury. So it, you, you got to think Charlotte can got to they got to hold on to that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mentioned on the the solo pod on Saturday. That their goal has got to be a top eight seed. I mean, obviously seven or eight. We're not talking about top three here, but uh, that's where they want to have that advantage in the playing game because it allows them to, to lose a game and to still continue playing. Uh, I, I do think that looking back on the schedule, uh, you know, that Atlanta game without Trey Young, that Cleveland game last Wednesday, you know, it was a, it was a loss obviously, but they've got to win the games that they're supposed to win. Like you said, Spencer, and the goal is to get that seventh or eighth spot. All right, guys, if you're listening to this on the podcast recording, join us next time live on the locker room app, as we'd love to hear from you guys for Spencer and Brian, I'm Richie. We will talk to you guys later.